0: This programme is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM If you like what you hear and want to support our work please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm Hello and welcome to Suite 212 here on Resonance 104.4 FM still London's best and brightest radio station after 20 years on the airwaves I'm Juliet Jakes and today... I'm co-hosting with Tom Overton for the first time. Tom's has given me a wave, which he can't see on the radio. We've been broadcasting here on Resonance, as well as on SoundCloud and iTunes for 18 months, having begun our weekly series in September of this year. And so we'd like to conclude the year by going over our cultural highlights of 2018. I'm not going to attempt anything so ambitious as a review of the entire cultural context of the year. Hopefully something of that comes across in our archive. But obviously, cultural issues in the U.K have, like pretty much every other issue, been subsumed by Brexit. Uh, I don't really have much to say about conservative arts policy, but the issue of Brexit has recently prompted the resignation, amongst others, of uh, the university's minister, Sam Guyimmar, the MP from my hometown, in Surrey, who this year used, who used his year in the position this year, having been appointed in January to push for an American culture wars narrative about how left-wing students are stifling freedom of speech, making speeches about using the law to stop students from no-platforming speakers, or protesting against what he calls unfashionable or unpopular views, repeating various media scare stories about this that turned out to have little or no basis. Diamond's successor, Chris Skidmore, seems to have more respect for academia, but he's a free market fundamentalist. The rising tide of revanchist and reactionary politics across the globe will be the subject of future shows. I certainly want to do shows about Turkey and Brazil next year, and the Greek queer activist art- artist circuit after the murder of Castopoulos and the clampdown on artistic freedom in Cuba. So today we're going to focus on works that have caught our attention. It's thoroughly subjective, based on what our personal commitments have allowed us to take in, so please don't tweet us to complain about any individual works that we missed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've not heard about them before. Yeah, I mean, yeah,
0: maybe it might be educational for us. We should probably be nicer to the audience. Uh, sorry, audience, we love you. Um, so Tom and I are both writers and critics. And, you know, when I started Sweet 212, um, one of the things I wanted to do was give more of a voice to people doing creative and critical work. Uh, so, Tom, I'm going to start the show by asking you that, you know, besides co-hosting this program, what, what you've been doing this year.
1: Uh, Thanks, Juliet. Um, I suppose my main thing this year has been, uh, as it was last year, the John Berger biography, the biography I'm writing of the writer and artist, John Berger, uh, who died in uh, the beginning of 2017. Uh, Sort of the process began way back in 2009 when he donated his archive to the British Library and I catalogued it, but since then... um, I found uh, it just become sort of lot richer and sort of more complex as a job because I found um, almost probably like two thirds as much stuff again Uh, and got to know a lot of his um, his sort of collaborators and uh, people who are important in his life in his life better. Uh, No, I mean, this year in particular um the translator annie berger who was his partner for 14 years um and a huge influence on him died in february and that was actually the first show that um that we did on the uh, literature and translation was sort of uh dedicated to her uh and also more recently the photographer jean moore uh died in november um I, and so one of the things i was doing is sort of writing obituaries of them really and uh, thinking about how their um you know, their own stories um you know kind of need to be told but also kind of how they fit into that of berger um that kind of whole project is i mean one of the reasons it's it's um it's taking so long is it involves a lot of travel too uh which a lot of that's a really huge privilege to be able to do uh, um i went to istanbul um this uh in august i think um uh, to see, I mean, because he went, because Berger went there, a really important sort of period in his his life in the seventies, and he was given a tour by uh, a writer called Murat Belger, um, who showed who showed me what he showed Berger, um, which was kind of amazing, um, uh, and a sort of a real advantage being shown it by someone who knew it so well. It was probably actually probably one of the, <laughs> it's hardly a contemporary, but one of the you know, kind of highlights of the year was seeing Hagia Sophia, um the yeah, sort of amazing amazing building. Um, uh and i stayed with a, a filmmaker called Gulen and gula um who, who work he who lives in this amazing sort of just near the galata tower um overlooking golden horn and uh <clears throat> i sort of wish i'd written about it really because there was this amazing moment when i woke up uh the morning after i arrived sort of you know that kind of a thing where you, you wake up and like where the hell am i <laughs> I sort of opened the window and I could see the galata tower and sort of slowly recon. oh yeah i know and <clears throat> On the table there's this book of poetry um by a poet called John Ash, who I'd never read before um I just sort of like groggily opened it and it was dedicated to Gulen because they used to be friends uh well, I suppose they still are friends but he's um he's so like, he's gone quiet actually um he's not published anything for ten years, I think but this was um from two thousand and two uh this book and it has one of the, the poem so one of the the reason it's dedicated to it is because there's a, a poem about them sitting in a cafe together. Uh, but there's um, also another one called Biography, which is kind of a uh, gently sort of taking taking the mick out of the, <laughs> the endeavour of uh, and the, the hubris of someone trying to write a biography, which was pretty funny. I felt like I was getting laughed at. <laughs> uh, the yeah, I suppose the other main thing is um, uh, yeah, the, my day job at the Barbican, um, which has also been sort of very very fun and interesting, and has moved on quite a bit this year, sort of building them an archive really uh, for the Arts centre. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, at my end, um, I also visited Istanbul. We'll come back to that presently. But, um, you know, as some listeners will know, I spent two months in uh, in Kiev and traveling around Ukraine over the summer, uh, working on a documentary about queer and feminist art in Ukraine and how it's responding to kind of the post Maidan revolution sort of climate of decommunism and politics that has come down to a kind of fight between oligarchs and fascists. Uh, that will be showing at the ICA in uh, March. Um, my collaborator on the film, Ukrainian uh, film artist, Oksana Kazmina, will be coming over. Um, sticking with film, I had what turned out to be a relatively small role in Josh Opinionese's film, um, Female Human Animal, with Chloe Aridius, which we talked about on the show with Leonora Carrington.
1: I, th- I think that's still on, I saw, that's still on it's movie, still on movie I I for a couple, a couple of days, of days I think yes, you so can, still can still
0: catch it. it. Yeah. Um Various bits of journalism, lots of which types into things we've discussed on, on this programme. Uh, but mostly I've been uh, finishing my PhD at the University of Sussex on kind of trans fiction, memoir and theory. Um, this is in a creative and critical writing project. So I've written a volume of short stories, which will become my next book. I think most realistically that will be out in 2020 rather than next year. There's still three more stories to write. Um i'm hoping to hand the actual phd in um very beginning of next year i'm actually hoping to finish it this week (laughs) in addition to doing this but um let's let's move on with the um the show um i want to start off by talking about some of the visual art that we took in this year um the turner prize interested me this year as someone who's always had a strong interest in experimental film and artist film and video Mm. uh, because this year all of the nominees uh were working Working in in film and kind of digital media, um, Tom. I think you actually managed to take in more of the work than than I did.
1: Mm. Well, actually, that's one of the. <clears throat> I mean, in your your introduction, you sort of pointed to some of the sort of rather depressing things about the uh, the, the year in, in in the arts and culture. But I think actually this is probably one of the sort of the, the more positive stories because I think like the Charlotte Project film, which which won, was fantastic, and I think it was it was. I think I, for me it would have been tied with uh, forensic architecture, but I think it was it was probably the right, right winner. In the same way that actually the swerving slightly uh, from from visual arts immediately, but on the, on the sort of the prizes theme, uh, the I think also the the right book won the Booker Prize. I think the Banner Burns book, uh, Milkman was a, you know, a, a very um, uh, deserved winner. But uh, and also the kind of interesting work that kind of like that actually kind of uh makes both sort of wins made me feel slightly more hopeful about the, the respective kind of uh climates of those respective art forms and so i think not everything's terrible from that front um the project film like i actually was sort of re um i kind of thought about again uh from the angle of the the last show that um i did on uh sort of um diversity and, and nature writing, because I, I thought that the elements of that film, uh, filmed on an iPhone, are these sort of like, actually kind of really beautiful kind of static shots of, of landscape uh, with the voices over the top of them. And that it's a sort of, <clears throat> it was a really, and, and seeing them in a, in a in a sort of gallery context like that has its own sort of, I was thinking about the ways in which that interacts with that sort of discussion about diversity and, and the representation of nature that um, we, we had uh, the other week also um the i thought the, uh, the the actual the actual way that show was installed for something it was i mean one of the reasons that people some uh commentators that came out against it is you know the kind of the very straightforward oh there's no painting it's all it's all it's all films like this isn't the sort of uh, adequate sort of thing for the Turner Prize to be. But actually one of the things is the way it was installed was really beautiful. The like kind of the, the setup of the rooms, I thought the whole thing was really well designed as an experience. And I don't know, what did you think about the Project film?
0: Um I haven't seen it yet.
1: Oh right. Um sure. Uh, but the I mean the other thing which does relate to um uh work that you you've done for the the show is the um forensic architecture piece. Um which I thought I mean it's strange how things stick in your mind as, you, as you're walking through like um the immediately before in the sort of the main hall in in, in Tate Britain there's a, a a piece of sculpture by Raymond Mason which is a I've forgotten what it's it's he's a he was a sort of uh he came to sort of most prominence in the 50s actually John Berger wrote about him uh and it's a a kind of frieze uh, and the kind of the, de- the way that the the sculptural depth is created in it sort of like stuck in my mind uh when i was looking at um the forensic architecture piece because it's about reconstructing a particular incident in uh, a bedouin settlement and in, in uh in the west bank uh and the way that they reconstruct the vehicles uh the shape of what's going on so they have a, the main part is a, is a a film well when you first walk in you you have the film the kind of main section of reconstructing this event filmed by someone from forensic architecture and then you see it sort of reconstructed from the sound sort of where the jeep is because obviously you can't see visually and I thought the way it sort of creates and sort of plays with the idea of depth and how you experience it from the screen was really interesting but um I think Avi Mugabe was you were interviewing when he was in London. Was yeah, you? he
0: was he was working with Forensic Architecture for several months. Where, um, was
1: that on the install? Or? Uh,
0: I mean, he was making some work with them. Yeah. Um, I mean, we only we only touched on it briefly during the show, but yeah, he was he was kind of working quite closely with Isle of there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, what 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 did you say that you? That you
0: uh, well, enjoyed? I mean, in the UK, I didn't see anywhere, didn't get to anywhere near as much um, visual art as I would have liked. I've spent quite a lot of the year out of the country. I was sort of constantly travelling between January and August, and on returning, I was um, very bunker down with this PhD that I've already mentioned. So, um, I haven't seen as much in the UK that i I would have liked. Um, some of the things I did get to. Um, the MetaHaven show at the ICA. Mm. Um, In fact, MetaHaven preceded me is Lyatia in Kiev and the film they made during the residency was called Hometown and I saw it in Kiev and then saw it again in London. Um, I really like MetaHaven's work, The Sprawl, Propaganda About Propaganda, which I saw three years ago. Um this show I wasn't quite so taken with. I think visually and sonically their works are very beautiful. Um, the works I saw at the ICA didn't really have as much to say, I thought, as, as the sprawl did. Mm. Um, I mean, another exhibition I saw in London that I wanted to maybe like more than I did was the Joan Jonas exhibition at the Tate mm. Modern. And there was some very interesting work in there. These sort of quite performative photographs, really interesting installations, masks and models that she'd made. Um, Adrian Searle's review for The Guardian talked about um, the work sort of deliberately bleeding into each other and the, the sheer volume of the work and the lack of direction that the curation gave, making it quite disorienting and, mm. and overwhelming for the for the visitor because the tempo and the mood kept changing. Uh, certainly, I mean, there was a huge array of cultural references, uh, but it was quite hard to to know what to make of it all. Um, so it was the kind of show where you could pick out interesting individual works, but kind of processing the totality of Jonas's work mm. in that context was quite hard. Um, a couple of things that were much sort of smaller and more stripped down um, Two interesting shows engaging with queer history. I saw um, the Oscar Wilde Temple by McDermott and McGough at Studio Voltaire, where they've transformed the space into this sort of kind of late Victorian um kind of chamber with sort of appropriate sort of chandeliers, furniture and wallpaper, mm. a really quite incredible statue of Oscar Wilde in the centre of the room um, and kind of images, drawings of paintings of, of Wilde himself and other queer martyrs like Harvey Milk, Marsha P. Johnson, Justin Fashionu, uh, Brandon Tina. And that's been made, you know, sort of with some association with the Albert Kennedy Trust um, for LGBT youth so i was sort of taken with that and i also enjoyed the um grand fury retrospective read my lips at auto italia um looking at some of the propaganda works that sprung out of the act up campaign in the 80s lots of sort of image making as community activism billboard campaigns guerrilla protests public interventions um you know the work is often quite stark quite simple obviously very direct. those are really interesting kind of period pieces. Um, I mean, I saw a few things around the country. i managed to catch the great exhibition of the North at the mm. Baltic, the idea of the North uh, part of the show. Uh, my favorite part of which was a film by David Blandy, Larry Ache and Pong, mm. uh, who we'll come back to later. I think mm. um, using a kind of computer game engine and footage of Hadrian's war to talk about a land that's condemned itself to isolation um, there was an interesting retrospective in Birmingham, women power protests The tie in with the hundredth anniversary of kind of partial women's suffrage, uh, included like Maud Salter's work, photo collage as a black woman from 1985. Um, some interesting works by Amy Bridgewater, uh, and Zarina Bimji, uh, Sue Arismith, love poem to Jacques Lacan from 1982. So really interesting kind of photos playing with Lacan's kind of idea of the mirror stage. Mm. um, in kind of formative development of children um of course i saw last year's turner prize winner labana himid also at baltic her kind of tapestries Mm. and um uh, they were very thought-provoking i like those a lot uh and the more of an avalanche exhibition at the wising arts center which full disclosure i had a video work in Mm. um but um you know that took this kind of alt-right insult of the snowflake as its starting point tying mm. in with what we've been talking about with these sort of stupid american culture wars mm. being imported to the uk um so i like zinzi minutes collaboration with dj nixie it's one of the films that was on show there mm. um and some sort of archive isaac julian work called that rush from 1995 mm. uh, in which the race theory scholar patricia williams um comments on analyzes some videos of the american tv host rush Limbaugh, mm. uh which is particularly sort of interesting because i vaguely remember rush Limbaugh from the time um mm. and you know even at the time even me being quite young thought surely it can't get any worse than this um <laughs> so they were interesting and there were some more pedagogical works in the show um it was a particularly interesting kind of um Cloth made by Raji Rage, which plotted kind of connections between white supremacist patriarchy, capitalism, activism, and creative arts. Mm. Uh, you know, Raji's work is a really interesting combination of kind of art and activism, mm. and often looks to find quite interesting spaces between the two, particularly through kind of community organising. Mm. So I think that work's got a lot of potential. Um, I would just like to very briefly touch on a couple of uh, exhibitions I saw in Belgium. Mm. Uh, during a trip there in March. Um, So uh, one artist's work I saw there was a retrospective of an artist and kind of writer called Sophie Podolsky who Mm. took her own life in 1974 at the age of 21. Um, Her work is not very well known at all. I think there's a passing reference to her somewhere in um, Roberto Bolaño's work. Mm. Uh, But very few other people have picked up on her and I think she's a really extraordinary artist. She... um, mostly worked in sort of black ink on paper but also colored pencil felt tip pen um, and the work they had was from the ages of 15 to 21 mm. um, these really sort of amazing etchings and drawings and an illustrated manuscript for a book she wrote called the country Where everything is permitted mm. in 1972 so i guess she'd have been kind of 18 19 um, as well as a film by a friend of hers joel de la Castanier, uh, documenting podolsky and her friends in this kind of brussels artist community that seemed like a kind of safe haven for for, for that group in the early 70s. You know, Podolsky was stateless. She only became Belgian aged 20. She got kicked out of school when she was 12 and she got hospitalised for schizophrenia. Mm. And so lots of her work deals with this kind of counterculture, with sort of political, gender, sexual transgression, machinery of the body and the state, mental illness and the idea of what's prohibited. Mm. So I think she's really worth checking out. We'll obviously, as we always do, send out some links after the show. Mm. The other thing I was really taken with in Belgium was... Um, was a retrospective by another female artist who is still alive called Anne Mie Van Kerkhoven, who I know feels kind of somewhat neglected in Belgium. Um, She's been around since the late 70s, early 80s. She was part of a quite fertile post-punk scene in Belgium. Um, She was in a band called Club Moral uh, with an artist called Danny DeVos. Um, So they're around at the same time as groups like Telex and Red Zebra and the names. Um, And lots of her work deals with how kind of sex and technology relate. But... What I was really impressed with, with the exhibition at UMCA, the Modern and Contemporary Art Gallery in Antwerp, um, is just the sheer range of her work, um, you know, in terms of the uh, field she works in. So she started off with kind of drawing and graphic design, but moved into installation and performance art. She did a lot of filmmaking, used computers very early on from the eighties, sort of collaborating with, with kind of people who were at the cutting edge of digital technology, uh, as well as a lot of painting and writing. Um, so I thought she was very interesting and the other thing I saw in Belgium was a retrospective of Fernand Leger's works mm. at Bazaar and I think you wanted to talk a bit more about Legere
1: yeah well I think that was a that was Bazaar <coughs> wasn't it like, um, I don't actually from, from what I can see because I didn't, I didn't see the one in Belgium I saw I saw the one in Tate Liverpool uh, a couple of weeks ago I don't think they're the same show I had, I had initially assumed it was a, a touring version I mean I know that the Tate one is touring afterwards but um no, that was a. I, I sort of wrote about that. That's a. It's a really, um, yeah. It, it's a really important and sort of uh, and it's really Im- impressive and uh, sometimes quite moving show, I think. But the, um, I don't know how big the Bozar one was. I mean, it was kind of frustrating, really, that it wasn't. There wasn't a catalogue with it. it. It felt like he's, you know, he's an enormously. It made the case for how important an artist he is, but they uh, to not give it. And it's, um, I don't know. It's also one of those things that that, that, that space just isn't isn't as as big as some of the ones in the sort of on the, the general tate estate uh and also they kind of um they wasted bits of it with uh, this sort of really really like the last room which was um the most of the works in the last room are kind of based around uh based around his uh, leisure taking kind of inspiration from the kind of the 1930s sort of popular front uh, reform which uh, uh, provided holidays for working people that kind of like the first time sort of paid holidays and which which created this the entirely new form of le- uh, of leisure um it can get confusing on the radio talking about leisure and leger um but the um are wonderful works uh, and the um and he kept on making the well into the, well into the 50s really the, the, as a theme, um, but it shares it shares the wall with this horrible sort of like transfer graphic thing, explaining his circles of modernism, which is really interesting information. It's very, the people you knew, like he knew Apollinaire, like uh, he went to see, um, I think his first Chaplin film with Apollinaire, and like the, there's all all these, these connections, and it's obviously a really important part of the story, but like to, if they actually had sort of invested in, you know, putting it in a in a in a catalogue <laughs> uh, and done doing some scholarship on it it would have been uh, far uh, preferable but the, actually the thing about that last the last room at the, the Tate Liverpool show is it bleeds over into so in the first room you have the um the sounds of i mean this is actually quite an interesting thing about it, the way people curate exhibitions like the way you if you have people whose career i mean one of the people whose careers sort of mix between different sort of uh media um because leger also made uh well he made one film on his own mechanical ballet and uh collaborated I with dudley murphy yeah um and the i forget who uh it's antile isn't it uh the yeah, george um, antile's composer yeah so you hear that um that the music kind of uh, bleeds into the first couple of rooms, and it really sort of like it 's quite a, a nice sort of um, sensory metaphor for the way that the um, the influence of the various different forms upon each other and, and you, you certainly something it made me sort of see the paintings. Uh, in a slightly different way and realized that they kind of there's something about the kind of the hard almost cartoon like kind of like black lines of uh the kind of post-war leisure which is very like the sort of form which is created on sort of like on celluloid like the the, the the you know lines between sort of lighter forms on a kind of um you know black and white um but uh just um sort of tying that up in at the end of the show there was a it um you could hear the soundtrack from uh the next exhibition which is um moon kai, kai wong and uh, john or a show called news from nowhere to from uh taking the title william morris which is kind of a dystopian uh post climate change apocalypse sort of uh, vision of, of uh the future uh, uh but the that bleeding back into sort of Again, made you kind of reconceptualize, uh, reconceptualize. think again about uh, Lejeune's sort of faith in the machine and sort of uh, the mechani- you know, mechanization of some, what was going to save and free mankind, rather than destroy the climate <laughs> and enslave us.
0: Yeah, um, I just want to close this section out by just talking very, very touching, very briefly on a few things I saw in Ukraine because I spent a lot of time engaging with the art scene there, not for too long, of course, because we did an extra show on this. Um, But I was very taken with Hamlet Zinkovsky's street art, particularly um, a work in Pripyat, the abandoned city uh, that was built for the Chernobyl workers and Mm. swiftly evacuated in April 1986. Um, A graffiti work he'd left there of a blasted room with all the furniture having fallen over from the blast with the words, what are we looking for here Mm. above them? That's very obviously aimed at people like me, the Chernobyl tourists. Mm. That was very striking. Um, some works by a Kazakh artist, Soya Falkova, that were presented at Isolyazia, particularly some beautiful kind of treated photographs of her hometown in um, in Crimea Mm. from her parents. um, Well, not her hometown, her parents' hometown um, in Crimea, which, of course, now being presented in the Ukrainian context, you know, that area is not accessible because of the Russian occupation. Uh, but I was particularly taken with an artist called Kirill Protsenko, who died mm. last year and did a lot of video work in the 1990s um, and into the 2000s and, and beyond. Um, a couple of works of his that were very interesting. One was called Unknown Arsenal, which took the famous Alexander Dovzhenko film from 1929 and just presented sort of parts of the um the print that were just intended for the projectionists and kind of made them into a, a short film and mm. kind of shows you the kind of underside of of a kind of classic piece of cinema. But my favourite thing in the show was a video he made with the um legendary Dynamo Kiev goalkeeper, <laughs> um, Alexander Shuovkovsky. You can't see it on the Are radio, okay? but I'm actually wearing a Dynamo Kiev shirt today. Um, but um, Protzenko um, sort of played with this idea that anyone could be an artist by... Um, setting up in a, um, a sports hall like a five-a-side indoor football pitch, uh, getting Shovkovsky to take penalties and Protzenko went in goal. Mm. Uh, the balls were covered in um, paint and they were hitting a canvas behind the goal. Um, Protzenko's kind of joke here is that, Maybe anyone can be an artist if you've got the right concept, but not everyone can be a goalkeeper. His goalkeeping is terrible. I think actually quite suspect. Um, but it's a really interesting work, and we'll tweet it out after the show. Actually, um,
1: this is related to like one of my cultural highlights this year, which I hadn't planned to talk about, but just remembered, was uh, playing fi- indoor five-a-side in uh, a, a sort of uh, actors versus um, sort of directors uh, <laughs> tournament versus the public tournament in the, in the Geneva... Um, theater festival <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i kind of wish i'd been a part of that um i feel some sort of like artist five aside is something that maybe we should try and get going but um we should uh we should probably move on to film now um i mean i was very interested in the German award this year um because one of the nominated films the exhibition part three by um or nada part three the exhibition by yasmina chibich um i worked on the script Mm. um so i had a small part in you know one of the nominated works obviously you mentioned you're doing
1: a lot of disclosures (laughs) i know but i have to otherwise it just
0: looks dodgy doesn't it um i mean it probably still does but um you know obviously larry achimpong and david blandy were also nominated larry has been a guest on the show as well um i like their work a lot Mm. um the was on by Daria Martin, whose work I'm not familiar with. Mm. Um, but, you know, she adapted Franz Kafka's story, The Hunger Artist, which I have read. Um, and also made a film based on the dreams of her grandmother who fled Nazi Germany in 1938. Mm. So um, I'm quite looking forward to catching up with her work. Um, also, the Sight and Sound episode with their annual critics poll came out this year mm. um i was polled for the list i did actually choose a couple of things that um that made the list this year i was polled last year and uh, all five of the films i chose i was the only critic to choose them uh so this <laughs> I year i was a little a bit more in that. step <laughs> with uh, with popular opinion uh but not that much more I, I saw i'd seen a handful of the um of the films on the list um neither of us have seen alfonso cuaron's roma which no, was I'm the number one film Um, I think that's playing on Netflix as well as a limited theatrical release. Um, So there's something interesting there about the future of of film releases Um, and how they're going to be distributed. Um, You know, new films by Lucretia Martel, Yorgos Lanthimos, um, Jean-Luc Godard, Gia Janker, Yuri Bilger Salan, Steve McQueen, Claire Denis, uh, Rule in the Top 30. So lots of kind of familiar names to people who follow art house cinema. Um, Martin McDonough's film, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing Missouri, um, Spike Lee's Black Klansman, um, and Pavel Pavlikovsky's Cold War, like none mm. of which I've seen. Mm. <laughs> um, Cold War was good.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed that. Um, the <laughs> There's a sort of. I mean it's kind of I, I was slightly sort of um trepidatious and advanced about it about that its what its politics were going to be like <laughs> and uh, the, the but the, the it's also kind of slightly difficult to talk about if you've not seen it and I don't want to spoil it for you you know <laughs> but the but the last shot is uh is just amazing um it's really beautiful just sort of I mean kind of in a way that it's probably a slightly overall comparison to compare it to kind of like the static shots in the uh in the Charlotte Proger film but like that kind of slowly kind of meditative shot and you only realize that some things are slightly moving i mean something about i i don't i think i saw it around the same time as i saw i mean completely <laughs> uh hardly a new film but um uh how to be uh, hard to be a god uh, the uh, the close up Sort of like a much longer film but kind of like again sort of amazingly shot but like the difference is at the end of Hard to Be a God sorry Hard to Be a God is um, uh, Alexa German's film um, based on the novel by Arkady and Boris Strogatsky um, and it I can't write. it's very long I can't remember the, how, how long precisely but by the end of it you you feel feel dirty because <laughs> it's it's such a it's such a kind of filth there's loads of sort of smearing of mud and feces on people's faces and it starts with this sort of rather smeary scene um which actually yeah in a kind of spoiler alert i don't want to spoil the first
0: scene
1: that's <laughs> pretty good um
0: Yeah, I mean, speaking of things that were very long, I did see the number two film in the list, which is Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, Phantom Thread. Uh, And I I did watch it on an aeroplane, which is probably unfair to the film because it's beautifully shot um, and it's got an incredible kind of palette to it. It very consciously rejects the sort of aesthetics of a drama like The Crown with its, you know, kind Mm. of Mm. nodding back to 50s Technicolor and, you know, aims to show sort of 50s Britain as it probably more likely was being kind of grimy and depressing and kind Mm. of, you know austerity addled although of course the the people that are shown in the film are you know very kind of privileged Mm. people well I mean it's it's a kind of cross-class romance although Mm. um I don't know I was never I was never quite convinced by the film really Mm. um Michael Wood in the LRB said that you know some people will think it's sort of incredibly beautiful, and other people will find it an annoying waste of time. And I'm afraid to say I was closer <laughs> to the latter. Um, I never quite saw the point of the film. I never really bought the central relationship between the two characters, and in particular the cross class aspect of the relationship, which doesn't really seem to sort of arouse um, any sort of serious suspicion in the characters around um, mm. the central character, the fashion designer Woodcock, who's played, you know, played beautifully by Daniel Day Lewis. Um, you know Michael Wood sort of says the main problem with the film is it doesn't really seem to be sure what it's about mm. um, and I mean I would be inclined to agree um, Wood also points out that a sort of envisaged future for the couple after the narrative has played out is really quite kind of hackneyed and cliched and it can only be a kind of dream or possibly a bit of a joke um, mm. and I'd also be inclined to to agree with that it's um,
1: i was gonna say it is interesting how um i don't know if because of or despite its length that film uh my my fullest interaction with that film has been through uh it's sort of extensive memification like it's <laughs> it's done very yeah. well on social media just in <laughs> little clips of it and i'm not sure if that's something about about the actor or
0: <laughs> yeah i mean i I couldn't possibly say. I mean, I'm looking <laughs> at my other films on, on this list and it, it looks more memeable than any of the others. Um, I reckon you could meme How to be a god. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'm surprised maybe that um, that that more memes haven't come out of some of the, the more dramatic works I'm going to talk about now. So two of the things I saw that were on the list um that I did see and kind of liked a bit more. One of them was Loveless by Andrei sevilla mm. um, you know, about a child that goes missing in um, contemporary Russia and what that says about the kind of society. Um, that was a typically kind of bleak film, um, but it is very powerful and I do think it's, it's worth the time. Um, I was more taken, though, with 120 beats per minute by Robin Campillo. Mm. Um, you know, there's been a kind of wave of, of films and other works exhibitions over the last few years that have really dealt with a lot of kind of queer culture and activism in the eighties and nineties. Um, you know, partly because it feels like a lot of LGBT and queer activism has kind of lost its way, has become too assimilationist, but also because, you know, the people who would have made work at the time, obviously, you know, died in, in huge mm. numbers. Um, so Campillo's film is obviously dealing with that documenting acts up in the early nineties. And it draws a lot on Campillo's own time in the movement, and, you know, what I really liked about that is I think it's the best film I've ever seen in terms of just conveying what activism is actually like, mm. you know, the amount of kind of frustration that happens in kind of meetings, the kind of passionate disagreements over tactics, strategy, efficacy, and the mm. kind of optics of protests. Um, that's all done in a really interesting way. The sort of romantic tensions between people and how that threatens to kind of sink the political work. Um And, you know, the film, certainly for its first half, kind of positions you with people who are learning the organising principles and the rules from the inside. You know, these rules about all the debate taking place in the room, people clicking their fingers rather than clapping to avoid drowning people out, um, all those kinds of things. So I thought that was was really good. I think the final thing that made the list that I saw was... um, Agnes Varda's Faces Places, which she made with the street artist J.R. Mm. Uh, and it's a charming film. It's uh, It just about stays on the right side of sentimentality, although mm. it does really teeter on the brink quite a bit. Um, you get this sort of road movie with Varda and J.R., who is, you know, maybe nowhere near half her age, I don't think. Mm. Um, so this is a really sweet kind of intergenerational uh, friendship. Um where they go around making portraits of people they meet that they then post on the side of buildings. Um, and you see the people's reactions to the portraits. And, um, you know, that's that's something that I, th- I think does sort of save the film from um, from being too saccharine. Uh, there's also a really interesting scene where JR and Vardo go to meet Jean-Luc Godard, and I won't tell people what happens there, but um, that gives the film an interesting kind of edge as well. Um I
1: think on on that that's that's possibly a, um, a good point to mention uh, in the sort of context of film stuff. Uh, another gaze, uh, sort of the feminist film journal, which I've recently taken deliver of, uh, delivery of delivery of, and is is yeah, is excellent. Some very good.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they they would have been interested in um, one of the films I saw at the um, If Festival in Istanbul in February, where I was judging the um, or co judging the political film strand. Uh we gave the prize in the end to a film called Primas by a director called Laura Bari. Um Primas, you know, is described by Bari as a poetic portrait of two cousins uh in Argentina who in the wake of sort of horrendous acts of violence that interrupt their childhoods, you know, try and move on from the shadows of their past. Uh they travel in Argentina and in uh, Montreal. Mm. And they kind of come of age. Um and you know kind of learn dance and mime theater circus visual arts it's really you know touches on the power of art uh to kind of express things that are kind of unsayable or difficult Mm. um and you know they sort of express things through their bodies uh in really interesting ways but also just in their kind of you know very obvious kind of caring and closeness for each other Mm. so i thought that was a really beautiful film um a really interesting uh, kind of counterpoint to that was another film in the the strand, which actually um, I really wanted to be um, uh, kind of up there with with the um, the Robari film, but um, didn't quite make it. But I thought it was incredible. Was a documentary called The Work by Gethin Aldous and Jairus mm. Um Now this was made at Folsom State Prison in California, uh, and it follows three men who are kind of running uh, a four-day intensive group therapy programme with uh, people who've been convicted for violent crimes mm. um, and looks at these kind of ideas of rehabilitation and possibilities of restorative justice. Mm. Uh, you know, the film formally is incredibly tight. It just sticks with the... It just more or less stays in the room. Mm. Uh, you occasionally see people driving to the sessions, talking about the sessions. But mostly it stays in the... Fil- in the. Um, in the building and each day is a segment of the film mm. about 20 minutes per day um and you just see you know extraordinary kind of emotional kind of outbursts moments of great kind of conflict moments of reconciliation um i really recommend watching it. i thought it was absolutely incredible mm. i to
1: recommend it to mike dibb uh who spoke to earlier on his film painted with my hair is about the uh someone who's been in solitary confinement for decades and sort of like try to had carved himself out of the space in which he could make, make art, but uh, has now lost it. But, yeah. and,
0: and one more thing I wanted to talk about, I won't speak about it too long because we mentioned it on the show about May 68 with Mitchell Abdor, which was uh, my favourite film of the year, Joao, Maria Seles' film, uh, In the Intense Now, mm. um, which is, you know, made entirely of archive footage from Brazil, France, Czechoslovakia and China, but particularly France in May 68. Uh, but what it really deals with is the kind of, this sense of revolutionary disappointment um what happens to people who've been caught up in this moment um when the moment kind of passes or is deliberately suppressed mm. it's very interesting in particular on uh daniel Cohn bendy who i think remains a strange kind of ghost and is now a green M- mep in the european parliament and has had his say on uh, brexit recently um <laughs> to the sort of interest of pretty much nobody um <laughs> but you know the the film in particular um is really quite unflinching when when dealing with the fact that the disappointment of this revolutionary moment passing was too much for people to bear mm. um and i really thought back to the film when i was in ukraine over the summer because i think two or three days before i left the news broke that the um co-founder of Feminox, Anna shatko had taken her own life mm. um age 31 and she'd been um, making art in in Paris. Mm. Um, so I found myself thinking a lot about this kind of revolutionary um, disappointment. Mm. Um, tapping into that as well was a, a film by another artist I met in Kiev, Oleksiy Radinsky. Um, the film of Kiev, and he's been making an ongoing series of films about the city. Um, the third part was about the efforts to save this incredible 1970s Soviet building uh it's the former institute for scientific and technical information uh but it's known as the flying saucer building and mm. if you see it in the film it's very obvious why mm. um due to its kind of design uh but i found that really interesting as well yeah. um and again i hope hope to be able to share some links to that <laughs> that's
1: a that's a lot of films <laughs> it's yeah a, it's a good years watching
0: yeah, I did I did a lot better this year than usual at watching new films. I mean, yeah. you know, you and I often see each other at the um, close-up centre in, uh, in Shoreditch, yeah. uh, which is not entirely, but mostly a retrospective cinema. And so I also spend a lot of time watching old films. I mean, you and I, I think, caught some of their Pasolini season yeah. this year. So we both saw Salo together, which was nice for us, as well as some of the Peter Watkins works. Yeah.
1: I mean that's quite that was a <laughs> that was a remarkable event the uh, the Peter Watkins sort of uh, in conversation Oh yeah I mean that's you know he
0: doesn't give many interviews now and uh, I don't think he likes them that much um
1: <laughs> it's not that he doesn't like talking <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless
0: him <laughs> um I wish we could have got him on the show but um Hey ho Gareth, uh, Gareth Gareth Evans was a anyway, yeah. worthy worthy <laughs> contributor so let's move on to um to literature um, sure. I have to admit that I did not read a lot of new fiction or poetry this year, and I didn't go to the theatre at all. Um, the new books I have read this year have largely been more directly political. I read uh, Chantal Mouffe's For Left Populism, mm. which has been extensively discussed on other left podcasts. Um, Owen Hathley's book on travels in the post-Soviet space, which I think we'll talk about more. With Owen in Future, mm. uh, Will Davis's book Nervous States, about kind of emotion trumping kind of facts in um, politics. I'm not sure if that pun was intentional or not. Um, <laughs> it was a sort of Freudian pun, I think. Uh, and I think probably most interestingly, Joe Kennedy's book Authentocrats, which we've mentioned on the show a couple of times, and Richard mm. Power Said's book about 1997, mm. which are both particularly interesting. Uh, on the relationship between new labour and culture, which is obviously something you touched on with Ollie Mould. Yeah. Um, Ricky Power Said, of course, is covering the beginning of that relationship, Blair's attempts to attach himself to the Britpop movement in particular, mm. the kind of faux radicalism of the YCAs. We talked mm-hmm. about
1: that a bit with um, with, Cl- with Clive, Clive Jones and Wonka as well when we did the the, like, the idea that that wasn't solely that that sort of uh, cool Britannia moment wasn't kind of like wasn't solely through sort of like white guitar music. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> um, uh, Ricky writes very, very well actually about the uh, the Stephen Lawrence case. I mean, that's yeah. not quite in the remit of of this show, but I think it's also worth reading for that. And then Joe Kennedy covering the death of of that kind of. New Labour kind of attitude to pop culture where, you know, this kind of universal subject has more or less collapsed and it Mm. kind of ends in this kind of, I mean, the greatly enjoyable in many ways attempts of like Owen Smith to sort of perform normal maleness Um, in the 2016 Labour leadership election, of course, the infamous um, sort of pretending to not know what cappuccino was, despite the fact that he clearly just ordered one.
1: Um, we met in Acosta before this, <laughs> yes, we before did the yeah. <laughs> uh, I had we an english tea. breakfast tea it was very authentic
0: <laughs> <coughs> pardon me um so I mean one thing I have enjoyed this year was the rediscovery of Anne Quinn, which we yeah. covered with Hodgson and Jonathan coe mm. um tom i don 't know if there's anything you'd like to um to bring in
1: yeah well i i'd also uh, enjoyed the i also enjoyed um the rediscovery of Anne Quinn. i sort of, um wrote about that right at the beginning of the year and also the kind of like the relationship between the, the short story and the novel and her work was um, really sort of interesting but the uh, I think just sort of slightly segueing not really segueing uh, one of the things that we were probably not going to we're not really set as a category but was sort of a literary experience really was um, the uh, Garson Lazar the, the, the theatre company um, their version of um, Beckett's How It Is at um, the the print room of the coroner I think is a slightly complicated name of the theatre and that was just amazing it was um, I thought about bringing in at various points uh, when you were talking about some of the subjects of the films you were talking about but um, there wasn't really a place for it it was with uh, Stephen Stephen Delane and Connor Lovett uh, just a kind of two man show uh, where they'd, they'd, they'd laid the they'd kind of with the audience was sat kind of on the stage, and like it's a sort of uh, raked theatre. Sort of quite, I don't know when it was built, uh, where the raked theatre, which are kind of w- walking around on the 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 actual seats of, and sort of sometimes appearing right at the top of the uh, top right at the top of the, the seats, and then sometimes right in front of us. And the sound design was amazing, and it's a it was, it's yeah. It, it, it really is very difficult to paraphrase uh, in a similar way that Compicite's um, The Encounter was, which kind of returned to the, the Barbican and it was, is just a really quite amazing piece of work I'm thinking about now because I'm wearing a pair of headphones but it's uh, in in a theatre but um, the whole uh, soundtrack is on um, sort of surround sound headphones so it really kind of like plays with um, there's a specific microphone as well which is the technological basis of it and it was a really interesting example of how... uh uh, form as old as theater sort of like um becomes very different if you try and keep up with technology like that um but um sort of more uh, more straightforwardly kind of reading uh literary experiences um for the reasons i explained at the top of the show i've been have been reading a lot of biography recently and life writing kind of more broadly conceived like every year i do a A kind of roundup of life writing that's been published in the uk for the uh u.s journal biography um and there's been yeah there's been a lot of interesting stuff um published in the last uh, sort of year or so um And one of the things that uh, doing something like the biography makes makes you realise is that um, people who make books or film or theatre or exhibitions are often working on them sort of like at some number of years in advance to when they actually get published. So it does make something like a, a uh, a year in review thing feel extremely arbitrary because all of these works come from such different contexts. And you'll know this as well with your stories i imagine
0: um yeah i mean you know i i have you know obviously thought about reviews of the year being increasingly arbitrary because lots of the films i've watched this year have been like on dvd um, um, and (laughs) yeah exactly i mean you know you can cultural time isn't kind of linear in the way that i think it maybe used to be more so Mm. simon reynolds writes very well about this in retromania um you know something mark fisher used to talk about a lot as well of course the big volume of k-punk um writing has just come out on repeater uh, um mm. I'm kind of looking forward to going back to a lot of that um, I mean, so
1: I, th- I think one of the things that does sort of like uh, play with that chronology also is is the the time uh patterns that are involved in translation um so uh Erno's knows the years which um Fitzgerald published this year um a translation by Alison Australia was you know, would have one of my books of the year it seems um if you want to talk about things like that it's a really amazing piece of life writing that kind of um is very much about this sort of like how you periodize sort of moments i was thinking about it a little bit when you're talking about 1997 sort of like and how obviously because it's written from the perspective of a french woman it's uh more and actually there are bits it's it's very much it's kind of a 68 book as well there are sort of like there because she's of the generation that sort of you know kind of like lived through and were changed slash not changed by 68 uh but one of the bits that really stuck in my mind uh, is her description her discussion of the uh, her son's playing N- nintendo 64 like, kind of like, <laughs> and that's, that feels like a very very that's very short, 1998 yeah, isn't it really replaces you but the kind of uh, but also oh, i no it's not oh, it's not n64 sorry, it's we it's all uh, oh, right it's okay, sort yeah. of um 2003 which in a strange maybe, way yeah. feels even more antiquated yeah but kind of like but there's some quite interesting sort of like punning on kind of like we, you know, the, the we and the eyes and the we and like it's but kind of cross-language. I mean, another really interesting piece of life writing um, that I think was reissued at the beginning of the year, I'm not sure what my excuse for reading it then was, but Adele Streit's Black teeth and a Brilliant Smile, which is about Andrea Dunbar, um, which is, I think is, they've just... Um, released news that it's going to be sort of put on uh, in Bradford as a sort of like as a theatre work, which is going to be a very interesting sort of looping of that back into performance. But um, but yeah, there's lots of other things, but I'll, I'll maybe move on to the next bit. now. Yeah,
0: I mean, I just want to quickly mention a couple of things. I mean, I read a couple of interesting graphic novels this year. I think both of which might have been published back end of last year. So one was Kate Evans's Red Rosa about the life mm. and thought of Rosa Luxemburg, uh, which is beautiful and, you know, surprisingly perhaps um, entertaining, um, you know, Luxembourg's is a really kind of fascinating life. Um, and another thing I really liked was uh, Other Rushes by Victoria Lamasco, mm. um, which, you know, is kind of brutal and quite funny, focuses on sort of different communities in Russia that mm. might not be so well known. So the Pussy Riot trial gets quite a lot of attention, but she also spends times with, like, sex workers in Nizhny Novgorod, traffic women in Moscow, school children in kind of small and quite desolate villages, as well as LGBT activists and ultra-nationalists. So it gives you a really interesting mm. sort of insight into the social fabric of, of contemporary Russia. Um, I saw a really
1: interesting show um, at the new Tretiakov um earlier in the year sort of, uh, it was about the art of the the art of the the what they well, said the art of the 2000s which is again sort of interesting sort of how to historicize that moment which feels now just on the verge of being quite naff <laughs> it's just far away enough yeah. to <laughs> sorry uh
0: no no i mean that's um that's quite interesting i mean um just to sort of move into our sort of last section of the show we've got like Eight minutes left and you're listening to Sweet 212 here on Resonance 104.4 FM. There's been so much to cram in. that I've forgotten to remind you where you are. So apologies if you forgot. Um, You know, something that caught my eye this year, tapping in with my own project, is kind of, you know, a a rising kind of like trans fiction, fiction by like trans writers in particular. Mm. You know, you can go back and you could make a potted history of trans characters in works by authors who are not necessarily openly trans, Personal favorite of mine is Cobra by Severo Sardoy Mm. uh, from the 1960s that Roland Barthes talks about a lot in Pleasure of the Text. Mm. Um, But, you know, one thing I did read was The House of Impossible Beauties by Joseph Kassara, uh, which imagines the kind of background to the House of Extravaganza, made famous in Paris is Burning. Um, But like the Paris Review, have published a couple of articles about uh, trans literature in the sense that a canon starting to form, at the moment, it's primarily North American, uh but writers like kind of poets Cameron Awkward Rich and Ari Barrias, um, novels like Aquake Emazi and uh, Andrea Lawler, um, whose book Paul takes the form of a mortal girl, um, sounds like a quite interesting kind of formally gender fluid book not mm. a million miles away from the Sadoi novel I just mentioned, um, and Geordie Rosenberg's Confessions of the Fox from Penguin and Random House. So it's one of the first trans authors to be published by a major house mm. and, you know, reimagines an early 18th century English jailbreaker called Jack Shepherd as a trans man in the tradition of, like, Phoebe Hessel, who joined the army in the 18th century, or the 19th century military mm. surgeon James Miranda Barry. Um, and it's kind of narrated by a trans academic who's found undiscovered trans memoirs, um, which is actually something I kind of do in, mm. do in my stories as well. So, um, you know, along with like Jay Burnard winning the Ted Hughes Award for New Work in Poetry, for "Search Side A about the new crossfire in 1981 that killed 13 people. Um, you know, it feels like sort of trans and non-binary voices are starting to emerge more in in the written word at the moment it's more in poetry than in prose but i think that's that's kind of coming um i mean just a couple of other things i'm intrigued about next year both in film so apichat pong we're is uh, making a film in Colombia with tilda swinton so that's mm. the first time oh, yeah. he'll have uh, worked outside thailand um there's a new chris morris film coming apparently um mm. i had very mixed feelings about four lions but um This film, not much is known about it, except it's about a botched FBI operation and it stars Anna Kendrick. I mean, you know, Chris Morris is always kind of keeping his powder dry. And, you know, it'd be very interesting to see what that film is like when it finally hits. Um, I'm expecting more kind of State of the Nation novels. Um, I'm particularly looking forward to catching up with Sam Byers' Perfidious Albion that came Mm. out earlier this year. Um, so I think we can expect more of those and we might get an answer to the question of who will write the worst Brexit novel. Um, you know, my money's on either Martin Amis or Ian McEwan, but, um, Martin Amis will literally have a character called Hannah remain, (laughs) (laughs) like living next door to like Derek leave or something. (laughs) And, um, it'll be worse than we could ever imagine. I think, (laughs) um, (laughs) um, almost looking forward to it. I don't know. Well, you looking forward to anything else, Tom? Uh,
1: (laughs) um, (laughs) The yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, well it's actually been it's been published elsewhere um already, uh, and again this because it's uh, partly because it's in translation. Heike Geisler's uh seasonal operative it's called. It's uh, in, in English. It's a about uh, an Amazon operative, um somebody who's a writer who signs uh, a contract to kind of work for Amazon over the over the Christmas period uh, and is a sort of really interesting piece of I mean it's been a lot of the time it's being sold as like you know this kind of uh, insight into that sort of working practice on and that sort of slightly dubious tradition of uh, you know, kind of um, down and out in Paris and London sort of uh, type uh, sort of voyeurism um, but the it's more kinda of more interesting because it's done it was published by Sime Text in in um English and it kind of it makes it fits into that sort of um Chris Krause sort of uh, genre of quite um playful uh, playful is a bad word, but um quite uh life writing that kind of um plays on the boundary of autofiction and sort of uh, does interesting things with the, with the form um and it's also translated by Katie Derbyshire who's an interesting translator in her own right who translated uh, Angela Steidler's uh, Gentle- gentleman jack uh which is is a uh, Stidler sort of writes about uh LGBTQ plus lives in the 18th and 19th century by her own sort of um uh sort of author blurb uh probably the other thing I've read a little bit of but I haven't actually quite uh haven't well only the first sort of 20 or 30 pages but it looks kind of amazing uh, actually in a kind of slightly John Burgery vein uh, and again uh, sort of I can't remember the translator off the top of my head but it's Jean-Baptiste del Ana- Jean- Jean-Baptiste del Amo's Animalia um, which is coming out in Fitzgerald uh, and it's uh, the way that it sort of evokes um, f- French sort of rural peasant experience is very like Burge's uh, Into the Labour's Trilogy by the looks of it and it's it's really kind of like, it looks really impressive writing uh yeah there's an interesting uh collection interesting looking collection of essays by kevin breathnack going out too, and faber um lots of other things but i think probably
0: uh start. we do need to start wrapping wrapping up for the year i mean obviously you know no one knows quite how everything with brexit is going to play out yet um i hope it never never ends quite frankly you could talk about it Every day, I'd never get sick of it. Um, I mean, you know, I think there's a possibility of a general election. The election last year saw, you know, quite exciting unleashing of, sort of political art, and memes, things that sat somewhere between the two. You know, I'm thinking particularly of that wonderful remix of uh, Skepta's shutdown with the artist Taxi Driver. Um oh, God. <laughs> which i you know, found very entertaining. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see the ideas around cultural democracy and particularly reform of the BBC that Tom Mills and Dan Hind have been floating mm. um, and we'll discuss that the world transformed this year. I'd like to, um, you know, it'd be interested to see efforts to enact those. Um, and obviously we're going to carry on with uh, with Sweet 212. So um, I've got shows planned, as I said, on Turkey, Brazil and Cuba. Um, We will be doing a show on Mark Fisher, K-Punk. I hope to, uh, you know, interview Deborah Levy for an hour. I'd like to do a retrospective on George Orwell, who we've just mentioned, and the sort of sanctification of Orwell by Mm. a certain type of political journalist in particular. Um, And also look at things like the relationship between art and fascism, art and class. Um, And yeah, Tom, I don't know if you want to just... We've got one more minute. I don't know if there's anything else you want to add about what you're hoping to do with the show next year. Yeah,
1: hopefully the um hopefully one of the first shows, if not the first one, will be uh with the photographer Marta liskova who has an exhibition on at Tate Britain at the moment. Uh she uh did a series called Pilgrims about um Slovakian pilgrims. Uh and um also kind of like lots of interesting street lovely street photography in the east end of London, but also kind of uh up in the beaches i think it was in the northwest uh but she's a yeah she's a wonderful uh wonderful photographer and hopefully you can talk about her sort of um she migrant story and uh yeah and also kind of i think a program on uh arts and museums and restitution would be a good one too um but yes we should probably Yeah, I think we have to uh, conclude for the
0: year. So uh, listeners, thanks for joining us on Sweet 212. We'll be back, same time, same place, beginning of January, I think Monday the 7th. See you then. Take care. Goodbye. (laughs) This programme has been brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you liked what you heard and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm.